Welcome to Montrose Podcast, the official podcast of Montrose School here in Medfield, Massachusetts, where girls are called to greatness. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm very happy that you can join us. Maybe you're an avid supporter of Montrose, a current parent or a friend of the school, or maybe you're new to Montrose, an independent school for girls in grades 6 through 12, inspired by the teachings of the Catholic Church. Here, young women achieve academic excellence in a rich liberal arts environment by developing enduring habits of mind, heart, and character. Thanks for joining us as we explore topics that highlight the impact of a Montrose education and how it affects the world around us. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Montrose Podcast, Why Math Matters. Spoiler alert, yes, math does matter, but did you know it was a language? Have a listen as we talk with three Montrose math teachers about why math matters, how they teach it, and how it impacts their students in our world. First up is middle and high school teacher Liz Murphy talking about closing the gender gap in math and how math is really a language. Welcome, Liz Murphy, to Montrose Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. So we're talking about math and why it matters. And I'd like to start by asking you why math matters to you. Um, first of all, I enjoy the beauty of math. The I find the fun and the challenge of it is all wonderful, how it's connected in so many different um, aspects of my life. I enjoy teaching it for those reasons, but I'm really passionate about teaching it to young women. I um, went to the University of Notre Dame, and I remember being one of the only females in my engineering classes. Um, the professors there were wonderful. They shaped my entire um, trajectory and career, but I did not have one female professor in engineering or math or science classes there. Neither did I in high school in my math and science classes either. So that was just something that always stuck out to me. Um, You know, I'm not I'm not young, but I'm also not, you know, so I was in college in the early 90s. But so that's just something that stuck out to me that, um, wow, as wonderful as these people are to me, it would be lovely to see other women. It would be lovely to look around the room and not be the only female in the room. And then I went on to a career in engineering consulting, and it was a global um, successful engineering company, and there were two women in that company. Um, Because it matters to see mentors and to know this is possible. Right, right. Yes, exactly, right? It's those those unspoken cues that you look and, oh, well, that's all men, so that must not be for for me. Um, So that's really where I got my start and why I kind of chose um, to leave engineering and then pursue a, a career in teaching. And we know, and this is a whole nother podcast, right, of all the all the hidden um, social um, messages that girls aren't good at math and all that stuff. Don't even get me started on that, right? So, so to have somebody there saying, um, you can do it, I did it, and, you know, I'm going to get you, I'm going to help get you there, I think is, is important. Oh, and I think it's, it's, you're teaching twice. You're teaching once by showing up and being that living, breathing mentor. I'm talking to talk, I'm walking the walk. And then you're teaching what you're teaching. So tell us about your philosophy of teaching math in the classroom. 
So I always like to think of it in terms of the rule of four. So I always have, so the rule of four is you have um, some sort of visual or graphical representation. You have some sort of numerical or a table to look at. You have the algorithms or the formulas that you're going to use. And then the last one is kind of your verbal expression of it, whether it's in actually um, defending your argument or writing it out on, on a piece of paper. So I always like to, when I'm planning lessons, I like to think of it that way. Like, am I, you know, it's not enough in my classroom to just know how to do the steps, right? That's just, that's the computational, that's the algorithmic. Right, then strictly the skill versus the habit of mind right. that you're trying to cultivate. Exactly. That's the computation. That's great. And that's an, and that's a necessary part. I'm not throwing that out right, the window. You can't window. get there without it. You can't get there without <laughs> it. That is a very important, the procedural fluency, right? You can't, you literally cannot get to the other parts of it without that. But what does this mean? Um, you know, I had a great, I said, okay, we're finishing up a chapter on linear functions. And I said, okay, and after Thanksgiving, we're going to be, um, we're going to get into solving absolute values and graphing them. And, you know, one of my students shouted out, you can graph those? And it was just, so they've already solved them, you know, in their previous course, apparently. Um, but now I'm going to show them, what does this look like? What you, so, yes, you know how to do the computations. Get visual with it. Why do you get two answers? Why sometimes do you get no solution? What does that look like in a table? What if you just saw a table of it? Could you put it into a graph? Could you put it into an algorithm? Could you defend why your answer is correct? You know, again, I... I, I try, students often will raise their hand and ask me, is this right? Um, you know, my answer is always, you tell me, right? So you shouldn't need me to tell me, right? In math in particular, you shouldn't need me. There should be a way for you to check it with a graph. And oh yeah, this answer makes sense. That's always what I'm getting at. Does your answer make sense? Is there plausibility? Um, and then also in my classroom, you're, you're going to be working with a study team because I need you talking math. Right. So it's a whole language that you need to learn and you need to be talking about it and you need to be an active participant in your math education. Watching me do five problems at the board, you write them down and then you do 10 problems is not what you're going to get the best. You might get really good at that procedural. Right. But all the research has shown your retention a month later won't be there because you didn't um, connect it to a visual representation. You didn't mm -hmm. connect it to a, a table or a numerical and you didn't defend your argument. You didn't make those synapses fire so that you have a really deep understanding of it. So um, I like to think of my math classroom as a fun environment. Yeah, <laughs> sounds fun. Well, what if, what if girls show up on a day and they're just, they're distracted or they're you know, hyper, it's around, I think we talked about yes. Halloween, yes. one of those days. And you're trying to come in with these pretty big concepts and asking them to dig in with you and have these language conversations. What do you do? Well, so that's so funny that you should bring that up because I did have an experience like that. I do teach, um, one of my classes, I teach them either first period or last period. And there was one day they came in last period and they were a little more rambunctious than usual, and they were having trouble settling down. So I, I, we had just done a lab the previous day where we had, um, the girls had collected data and graphed uh, linear functions, um, inverse, um, inversely proportional functions, and exponential functions. So I, I, I said, girls, I'm going to put a, a axis on the board, and I put on on the x-axis I put hours in the day, and then on the y-axis I put amount you talk. And I said, what do you think the relationship would be between as the day goes on, the hours of the day go on, and the amount you talk would be? And immediately <laughs> one girl picked up on it and said, um, 
it would probably be a linear relationship that an increasing linear relationship that as the hours go on, we talk more. And then another girl picked up on it and said, actually, it's it would probably be more exponential. <laughs> you know, this is where <laughs> being so, yeah, yeah, it's probably more exponential. And I was so impressed. These were seventh graders that they could make that connection. Wow. And I had put it on the sideboard and I left it there. Um, because we were we were dealing with a very tough topic of domain and range. Domain being your X restrictions going into a function and range being your restrictions on the Y values. And it was slow going and I knew it was going to be slow going and I could tell some girls were having trouble with it. And I, and I tell the girls, I don't expect mastery right away. I don't expect at the end of you know, 45 to 60 minutes that you're like, I understand everything there is to understand about domain and range. Like we're going to keep working on it. We're going to always find connections to other um, anything else we're learning, I'm going to bring it back to. Now, what would be the domain and range of this, right? So I'm always going to bring it back. Um, so I, I was closing up the lesson. And I said, listen, we've spent a lot of time on linear functions. And what's nice about linear functions is their domain and range are always going to be all real numbers, right? Because lines go on forever, um, up, down, left, right. So, you know, that's what's nice about linear functions. And again, another student raises her hand and says, wait a second. When we walked in, you put on the board that as that that axes that as the the hours in the day go on, um, the amount we talk goes on. But if you were talking about the domain and range of that linear function, you can't go backwards in time. So really, the domain would have to be x is greater than or equal to zero, and the range would have to be y is greater than or equal to zero. And honestly, as a teacher, that's like the crowning. You, you know, you just. <laughs> like you couldn't end on a higher note than that. And I said, wow. And it, it was this perfect segue into, right. So now we're going to talk about functions as real life problems, right? So, okay, that's right. All linear functions are there. I can't say all linear functions have a domain and range of all reals, because when we're talking about specifically in the real world, there's going to be, there's a starting point. There's going to be a restrictions yes. on it. So it was just, you know, and again, to see seventh graders using this vocabulary that I never you know, three, four years ago, I would never have thought seventh graders were capable. Liz Murphy, thank you for not only sharing your time with us here for the podcast, but for sharing your experience with the girls, because I feel like you're one of these math pioneers for them. <laughs> and them getting to see you love what you do matters so much, maybe even as much as what you're putting in their heads and helping them take yeah. home. And a shout day. out to the Mancho student, right? Like yeah. anything I give them, they take it and run with it. Absolutely. So it's just a fun, it's, it, it's fun. I don't think I would do it if it wasn't fun for me also. And it is, it's really, it's really a fun place to teach. It's oh, great to hear. Stay tuned for our next segment of Why Math Matters with Sue Least. We invite you to join us for a curriculum night open house on Thursday, November 29th at 6.30 p.m. Learn about unique elements of the Montrose curriculum. Find out how Montrose couples academic excellence with enduring habits of mind, heart, and character to create a nationally recognized program where girls are admitted to top colleges and universities. The speaking program begins promptly at 6.40 p.m. You may register by emailing admissions at montroseschool.org, but walk-ins are always welcome. And now back to Why Math Matters with veteran Montrose math teacher Sue Least, who tells us about the enduring habit of not giving up and how she wants girls to be good in math and know that they can do anything. I believe everybody can do math. I, it upsets me when I hear people say, oh, I can't do math or 
or a parent saying, well, I wasn't good in math and my daughter's not going to be good in math. I say, no, everybody can do math. It takes some people a little longer to get there, but everybody can do it. And I really believe that. Yeah, it's kind of a myth. It, it is. That we write it, it off is. or we, we excuse ourselves almost. Yes. And why? Maybe because it's hard work? It is hard work. Uh, you know, but with a good teacher to lead you there, you should be able to do it. Right. Um, and that's why I've stuck with it for so long. I want girls to be good in math and feel that they can do anything, that that their math skills will benefit them rather than hold them back in any job that they choose to do. And they'll never sort of have to take that cop out. Oh, I'm just not. Exactly. No, I that, put in the time. I don't believe in that cop out. No one's allowed to say that in my room. So what is your philosophy when you teach math in your classroom? What do you try to give the girls? I try to give them a toolbox. Hmm. I try to give them as many tools as they will need so that when they encounter a problem, they can look at their toolbox and say, oh, I'm going to try this tool. And hopefully it will work. But sometimes it doesn't. And so they have enough in their toolbox. They can say, okay, that didn't work. Let me try this one and try that. And they have enough to eventually solve the problem and realize, oh, okay. So, you know, as they, the old saying, at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And I feel that um, if I can do that for them, that in the world, when they get out there in their jobs, they can solve any problem. Well, and that plays to a gap I often hear about with our U.S. education and, for instance, education in Europe or Japan, where some of the gap there, specifically in math, is strictly the amount of time we are willing to stay with the problem. Absolutely. You know, I try to get them to think logically. I mean, that's what math is about. They always say, when are we going to use this? And I say to them, you may never use this, but the approach you will use to everything that you do, the logical thinking, how do I solve this problem? How do I work through it? What am I given? What do I need to know in order to solve the problem? And then go about solving it. I mean, that's what math's about. And life. And, and life, exactly. Problems. Exactly. And we don't have the opportunity or really the luxury not to solve them, do we? No. So teaching no. them not to give up. Very important. seems like a very yeah. generous and gracious attitude towards the rest of their lives because it really does, it informs that stick to mm -hmm. You know, there are a million self-help books about grit and about this and about that. And when you show them that on a daily basis, what does that look like in math class? Mm -hmm. They really can take that with them. Absolutely. I don't let them give up. I, I say, you can do this. I'm, I'm their biggest cheerleader. I know you can do this. Are there some tensions when you do that? When you say you can't give up? A little bit. And they go, oh, please. <laughs> I say, no, no. Can you just show me how to do this? <laughs> can't you just give me the answer? Yeah, I just want the answer. No, no, can't do it. You have to come up with it yourself and you've got to figure it out yourself. Well, and that philosophy, which is really keeping them, putting them in the driver's seat and saying, you're going to stay right there. 
That's right. You'll get where you need to go. That's right. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm in the, I'm in the passenger seat. <laughs> yes. But that too is something that it doesn't let them win easily, I would say, or solve things easily. Right. They're going to have to fight for their They're own way. They're going to have to. They are going to, you know, tenacity is big in math. You really have to stick with it. It's just amazing to hear you talk about this because I feel like you're, you're not just, just closing the math gap that exists. You're simultaneously closing the confidence gap and you're bringing it full circle. I'm trying. Students. I had a student say to me, um, a new student, she said, Mrs. Least, I've learned more in five days in your class than I learned all year, last year. She said, I, I can't believe how much I've learned. And this was a student who, she said this to me about three or four weeks after we started. What do you feel like you've taken away? What have you learned over the years of being in the trenches with these girls and their parents and doing it every day? What keeps you coming back? The success stories. The, the fact that the girls come back to me after they've left here and have said, I learned so much from you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. From students saying, I knew you were with me and, and I, I learned a lot. That's what it's all about. It is, you know, they're ready to take charge of the world. And that's what I want to give them Absolutely. most of all is, is be successful adults. And you are succeeding, and that is something to celebrate. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, Sulist, thank you very much for You're your welcome. time. welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for sharing yourself with these girls year after year, as you've done. We really all appreciate it. Well, thank you. My pleasure, really. My pleasure. In this last segment of Why Math Matters, we talk with middle school math teacher Ingrid Waldstein, who tells us more about how math is a language, as well as a way of seeing order and beauty in the world. There is an order and a beauty towards mathematics, and there's an order to beauty in nature. And discovering that order and beauty and how they go together, I mean, that's sort of like the lifelong goal for me. Um, I went to a great books college and they said, oh, you came for the philosophy, for the theology. And I said, no, actually, I came for the math. And mm. they said, most people don't come for the math. <laughs> it's in our curriculum. It was the history of mathematics. So they started from Euclid's elements of geometry and worked through Apollonius's conics and going up into Descartes, Newton, into the um, beginnings of calculus. So we studied all those mathematical treatises sort of from the great thinkers themselves. So it was kind of a philosophical very, very introduction, classic approach, classic approach yeah. to mathematics. Um, but that's what I wanted. And that's where, and it was all discussion based as well, which is mm -hmm. another interesting thing about now teaching a course that requires a lot of discussion, a lot of group work, a lot of logical reasoning, um, which has seemed to be a perfect preparation for what I'm doing now. But how could I have known back then? We don't get to, right? So I'd say for mathematics, the philosophy of mathematics is just that, um, yeah, nature is ordered and we can see an order and we can find patterns and we can see the beauty. And the more we dive into it, the more fascinated it becomes. So it's really for its own sake, you know. It's, well, that you're giving these girls yeah. that lens now yeah. in their lives, whereas I feel like 
in in my studies. Mm-hmm. So my favorite math course ever wasn't until college mm-hmm. because that's where I got to take a course on MC Escher yes. and pattern and order and mm-hmm. how art and math were meeting. And I thought, sing it from the rooftops. I finally, you know, my art right. and English major finally found a math class. <laughs> exactly. So the idea that you're giving them this lens now and take it with them, like you said, in a lifelong way, to me, that's revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um. We've already talked a little bit about your teaching philosophy, but why are you passionate about teaching here at Montrose? In the all-girls environment, it's fascinating to watch how their mathematical process, their mathematical process is very different. Mm. Um, And so that's why I love teaching here is because um, there isn't the same amount of competition to produce. It's more of an embracing exploration within the math classroom. There's still elements of competition, but I think that one of the beautiful things about Montrose is it's a safe place to discover, take risks, and find things that Mm -hmm. you might not find if you're always worried about, did I get the equation right? Did I get to the point where I can now navigate this very particular application to produce something? Right. Um, So what I'm hearing you say is process along with product is where you get to. That's your sweet spot. Yes. Yes. If you could dispel one math myth, what would that be? That there are math people <laughs> and not math people. Um, I think our brains are logical. We're built to see um, and to build ideas. And so whether you're more inclined to extremely um, concrete image methods that you might see in the humanities you know you love to analyze poetry analyze sentences analyze the sort of language base I think that's also present in the math curriculum but not always emphasized Mm. so you could see both elements we were talking about numeracy and fluency yesterday with another math teacher and she was talking about how you know facility in recognizing prime numbers recognizing squares recognizing square roots and then being able to put those into equations and manipulate those equations and all this flexibility in the math. But that there's a perfect anal- analogy with terms of vocabulary, in terms of developing beautiful sentences that have are built with extra meaning. So these two worlds aren't actually as separate as we think. And so if we could get kids to see that there's there are two halves to the same truth right. and have a, have a sort of less, I'm this kind of person, I'm that kind of person, but start putting these ideas together and seeing, no, there is um, a hole here where right, that, we've separated into parts for convenience, but there's a hole. And that we all need language. We all need language. And that all language starts with characters. Right. And how we put them together or what <laughs> us English majors like to think yeah. of as grammar, right? Right. That to me is also kind of a breakthrough idea that if we can arm this generation with the idea that math, like anything else, is a language exactly. to be learned and expressed mm-hmm. and shared. Mm-hmm. And that, sure, you might not take that language in the same way that another person does. You might not specialize, for instance, in a particular branch of math, but that the language is for all of us. For all of us to see. And um, and it's biggest thing the biggest difference might be it's for visual people versus more auditory verbal people and you might gravitate based on your temperament or interest but 
the language is still present, even if it's visually represented mm -hmm. um, in symbols, in numbers, in patterns, in whatever geometric figures you have, but they're, they are connected. Right. Like any other language, it helps us unlock right. our world yeah. a little bit. And, you know, a lot of people will say, why does math matter? Well, it sounds like this would be your I, answer. Yeah. Math matters because we're human, you know, and we speak a language of math. So we need to figure out how to unlock it and also speak to each other using that language. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Ingrid, for sharing your time, your experience, but most of all, for sharing yourself with the students here at Montrose with our community. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Montrose Podcast. Please subscribe so that you'll be the first to know about future episodes and share the podcast with your friends and family. Donations to Montrose Podcasts go directly to tuition assistance, a critical part of our mission to keep Montrose education accessible. Your gift plants the seeds of lifelong Montrose friendships and ensures that each Montrose graduate takes with her a life compass to navigate the challenges beyond Montrose and seize opportunities to shape our changing world. Thank you.